0: grace to and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ it's so good to see you all here today thank you for gathering here as god's church in this place at first presbyterian church of san antonio we're glad that you're here this morning this week we're going to continue in our series in the book of acts in the book of acts chapter 1 verse 8 jesus said this to his disciples he said you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria And to the ends of the earth. Now what is a witness? A witness is someone who is willing to bet his life and risk everything to share the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And over the last couple of weeks we've been talking about what it means to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But how do we share the truth and the love of Jesus Christ? When it seems that the whole world, and often our own personal worlds, seem to sometimes be just falling apart. I mean, what do you say on an occasion like this, when 21 years ago we're remembering that on 9-11, 3,000 people lost their lives in the senseless, brutal, evil tragedy We know that it didn't end there this year. We've witnessed the devastation of Ukraine. But we've also experienced personal tragedy and the heartbreaking death of teenagers. Last week, in this very room, we held a memorial service for a 26-year-old from our congregation who died unexpectedly just as things were beginning to take off in his life. And then we also, just this last week, lost a beloved friend to a debilitating, awful Degenerative disease. This past week, a young teacher named Elijah, Fle- Elijah Elijah Eliza Fletcher was murdered in Memphis, only to be followed by a series of mass shootings. Why? 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 One of the most challenging questions of faith is why would a good God let these? things happen. Why war? Why debilitating diseases like Alzheimer's? Why tragic death beyond people's own consequences? In the face of tragedies like that, people come to the conclusion that, well, maybe God isn't real, or maybe he doesn't care, or maybe he can't help after all. People begin to think along these lines. What then is our role as witnesses of Jesus Christ? If, as the late Dr. John Leith says, the task of the Christian witness is to help people understand how Jesus Christ answers the deepest questions of their lives and makes sense of their experience, then how do we witness to people about the reality and the goodness and the sovereignty and the love of God even in the face of tragedy? As we study the book of Acts, we need to observe and learn how the early church connected with people and shared the love of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ, in different circumstances. And our scripture reading today addresses the very issue of tragedy. Because the story today is a story about how Peter and John shared the truth and love of Jesus with a person who was suffering. So if you would, turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screens behind me. It's in your bulletin, or you can read along in your pew Bibles. But here's what the Apostle Luke wrote. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, we know that this is your word. It is completely true, and it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, where it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. In this story Peter and John approached the temple for prayer and there they met a crippled man who was daily brought to the temple to beg for help. What we know is that this guy's suffering was not the result of any kind of injury. It wasn't the result of any kind of self-inflicted wound. It was not the result of a punishment or some other supernatural sanction. He hadn't deserved this. He hadn't caused it. He hadn't just made bad choices. He was born this way. It wasn't his fault. He was born this way. And as was his habit, he was brought to the temple daily to beg for money. And so just like every other day, when he saw people coming into the temple, just like Peter and John, when he saw them, he did what he always did. He asked them for some money. But this time, when he called out to Peter and John, the story says that rather than ignore him, or walk past him, or even just throw him some money so as not to be bothered further, Peter turned and looked intently at the man, as did John, and said, Look at us. Look at us. Now for years, people had passed by this anonymous person on their way into the temple. Likewise, the crippled man had solicited alms from scores of anonymous temple-goers. Both parties, beggars and givers, operated in comfortable roles of anonymity, never really getting to know one another, never really even seeing or paying attention to one another. But then, Peter and John broke the pattern, and something Miraculous happened. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong and leaping up. I love this. And leaping up, he stood up and he began to walk. And then he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, here, this guy just asked for money. But he got so much more. Here's a person whose very life was defined by tragedy. His life was as repetitively hopeless hopeless as it gets. But for the first time... In maybe ever someone took a risk someone broke the pattern and not only changed this man's life but changed his forever what made the difference I think the key is in verse 6 verse 6 says this Peter said I have no silver and gold but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John focused on what they do have to give rather than what they don't have. You know, too many churches and too many would be witnesses focus on what they don't have money, time, training, education. But truly engaged witnesses, truly engaged witness-oriented churches follow a different pattern. They follow Peter's lead to offer the world what they do have. They aren't worried about what they don't have. They're concentrating on what they do have. So how can we, as witnesses of Jesus Christ, make a difference in the lives of people who are suffering we can do it by focusing on what we do have. What do we, as witnesses, have to share with people? Well, every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ has four things to share with people who are suffering. The first thing we can share. We may not have gold or silver, but we, what we do have is our recognition. Peter commanded, look at us, forcing the crippled man to acknowledge them. Now, that was a brusque and immediate way to let this man know things are about to change. It's not just about you looking at us. I want you to know we see you. Something different's about to happen. And maybe for the first time ever, Someone acknowledged this man. This crippled man called out for help and somebody heard him. Somebody finally saw him. And now he has to also acknowledge them. You see, this wasn't just going to be a transaction. I call for help, you give me some money. I call for help, you give me some money, I quit bothering you. This wasn't just going to be a transaction. This was a moment of recognition. You know, so often, When we look at people who are suffering, we tend to see the condition itself rather than the person. And the condition dehumanizes them. And rather than looking at them as a person, we look at them as a project, or we look at them as a nuisance, or a case number, or a statistic. The person, in a sense, becomes the problem, and the rest of their identity is consumed by it. But here, Peter and John broke the mold by acknowledging that this beggar was not a problem. He was a person. You're not just a beggar at the temple gate. You are a child of God. You're not just a suffering condition to be solved. You are a person who is loved. We see you. We see you not just your problem. Second, we may not have gold and silver, but what we do have is our experience. Sometimes God gives us resources to share. Sometimes God gives us skills to share. But sometimes he gives us experiences to share. One of the greatest gifts that we can offer wounded or suffering people is our own experience. You know, there have been so many times when I've been visiting someone who's suffering from cancer. And you know, I know how to talk to people, I've been trained, I know how to pray with people. But it's never the same when I'm in the hospital room with somebody who's undergoing cancer treatment. And when somebody who's gone through cancer themselves, a cancer survivor, walks in, the whole atmosphere changes. The light in the room changes because the person who's there, while they're happy to see me, they're happy for me to pray for them, suddenly they connect with this person who's been through it, somebody who gets it, somebody who understands what they're really going through. That person knows that somebody understands. That person who has cancer knows better than I will ever know how to minister to that person. So let me me give you an example here. Cancer is not a gift, but experience is. Caring for somebody with Alzheimer's is not a gift, but the experience gained from that is. What experiences do we have to share with one another. One of the greatest gifts that we have as a church body is our experiences. Experiences enable us to relate to the needs of others. I would venture to say that there are few situations that have not been experienced by members of our church. We have experience with cancer, Alzheimer's, divorce, incarceration, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, raising children, abuse, grief, heartbreak. We have a wealth of experience. And what that means is that members of this congregation have a real crisis-tested faith. That means that in our church, faith isn't just an intellectual activity. It's a tool. It's something that we can use. Faith isn't a set of abstract propositions. It's a relationship. It's a suit of armor. It's a parachute. It's an oxygen tank. It's a battery recharger. And God has blessed this congregation with a huge variety of experiences. So let me tell you this. Chances are, if you're going through something, there is somebody in this community, possibly even sitting in this room right now, who can relate to what you're experiencing because they've been through something similar. What that means is you don't have to go through this alone. And if you have been through something, There's someone who needs you. And it may seem unbelievable for you to hear me say this, but you've heard me say it before. If you've been through a situation, if you have experience, then you may be God's answer to someone else's prayer. You have a tremendous gift to give. That's one thing you do have. Third, we may not have gold and silver, but what we do have is the truth about Jesus Christ. The most important thing that Peter and John did was to connect this miracle and this compassion to Jesus. If you look down a little farther in verse 16, you'll say that Peter says, by faith in Jesus' name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see And no, Peter immediately took the camera off of him and pointed it toward Jesus. The good news about the real God is that he is Emmanuel. That means God with us. He cares about us enough to become one of us. He knows our struggles firsthand because this is the God who knows what it's like to have a job and also to be poor and homeless. This is a God who wept because his friends died and who knew people with cancer and leprosy and heart disease. This is a God who knew what it was like to be a refugee. This is a God who knew what it was like to live under a tyrant, under a dictator. This is a God who knew what it was like to be misunderstood, what it meant to be hated, what it meant to be humiliated and spat upon. This is a God who knows what it's like to be tortured This is a God who knows what it's like to die. This is not a God who's above the fray. This is God in the fray with us. He knows the limits of our endurance. He knows what we're up against. He knows our weaknesses, our circumstances, our situations. He's been through it. He gets it. Now, we meet people every day who suffer physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Their suffering may have been caused by abuse or poverty or sin, by loneliness, or even a lack of direction. Every day we meet people who have been wounded. We also meet people who have been paralyzed, who are frozen in their circumstances, or stuck in a rut. And their suffering is real. And you know what? They don't need a God who sits up in space, binge-watching our pain, our joy, our struggles, and our lives from the comfort of his throne. We don't need a God who keeps his distance. We need Emmanuel, God with us. And that's why the great 20th century pastor and theologian Emil Bruner once said that the Christian gospel is the good news of the God who approaches us. Over and over again, we see Jesus approach the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, the leper, the man with the demon-possessed son, the blind, the lame, the unclean, the broken, the grieving. What is the good news for suffering people? It is the good news for the God who approaches us. He approaches the person lame because of disease or birth defect, or who was maimed by a landmine. He approaches the homeless man and the single mom. He approaches the family member taking care of a beloved person with Alzheimer's. He approaches the Ukrainian refugee and the Mexican trying to escape cartel violence. He approaches the person with cancer and the person born with birth defects. He approaches the person struggling with anxiety and depression and and identity issues. And he approaches the person grieving over the unexplainable death of someone they love. The good news that we have to share with suffering people is that we have a God who is real and who gets us, who loves us, who cares about us, who does not ignore our troubles or pass by or keep a distance. Rather, he is the one who approaches us in our trouble. Finally, we may not have gold and silver, but what we do have is our faith. Peter said, the faith that is through Jesus has given, the, has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Scripture attributes this miraculous healing to faith. But read the story carefully. Whose faith? The beggar was never asked about his faith in Jesus. And it's unknown from this story if this poor soul ever even knew who Jesus was. I mean, he may have heard heard Jesus preaching in the temple precinct. He maybe heard about the news and commotion surrounding his crucifixion. But would that knowledge constitute faith in Jesus Christ. But who did know Jesus? Peter and John knew Jesus. They knew him personally. And they knew that he would do something. The faith that made this man strong was the faith of Peter and John. Faith is what they had to give. They approached him at the temple gate because they believed and they believed in Jesus Christ enough to believe that he could make a difference in this man's life. The gift that we have to give is that we believe so much in Jesus Christ and in the power of the resurrection that we are not only willing to bet our own lives on it, we believe it's true for you too. And even if the people we're trying to help don't believe, we're still going to trust, we're still going to pray, and we're still going to live like we believe that God is real, that he is sovereign, that he cares about us, and he has the power to make a difference not only in my life, but in your life too. Maybe this man didn't believe God would do anything, but Peter and John, they believed it. And they were willing to bet their own lives on it. So we believe it for us. But we're also going to believe it for you. So seeing a standing room only crowd, ready to hear, Peter turned to the word of God and began to preach boldly about repentance and the need for people to turn to Jesus Christ. This only happened, however, after they had attended to this man's real and present need. I want you to notice the pattern in this story. Love first. Serve first and then preach. It is significant that this miracle story of Acts 3 took place on the way into the temple. As Peter and John were entering to worship. As Christians, we can think about our lives as moving from Sunday to Sunday. During the week, we move out into the world and then come home on Sunday. But on the way, we meet, we run into, sometimes we even run over wounded people that God has put in our path. They may be outsiders, they may be other members of this church, but there are people who are asking, why? 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 How many people do we pass by? Unless people see a church that cares, victims of suffering will have trouble believing in a God who cares. They aren't going to care what we have to say, and they will not believe in the God who approaches until they see God's people approaching them, approaching people in need. We can't give people answers we don't have. We can't give them the answer to all the why questions, but we can give them what we do have, recognition, experience, the truth, and our faith. Do we recognize the people and not just the problems? Are we sharing our experience? Are we declaring the good news that Jesus Christ is real, that he cares, that he can make a difference in our lives now and forever? Are we showing them that we not only believe this for ourselves, but we believe it for you too? Oh Lord, we ask you to be alive in our hearts, so alive, so strong, that you break the patterns of anonymity, that you would help us not simply to walk by those who were calling out, but to turn, to see them, to recognize them, and then to share what we have. Lord, give us the courage to deviate, to break the mold, because you have shown us that when we are willing to break the pattern, that you will do miraculous things.